Hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of The Gun Show, a podcast series by MTD CNC Global. Today, I have the great fortune to be with a friend of mine for many, many years, James Shortway. Uh, we're going to learn a little bit about where he came from, uh, what he does in the business now, and some of his side uh, uh, hobbies and some of the exciting things that he does outside of the amazing work that he does inside of Methods. And I know I'm, I'm using a lot of powerful adjectives, but I think it's because I've known you for so long and I don't think I'm uh, using them incorrectly, James. I really value um, the person that I've known you to be for many, many years and the person that uh, I've known and, and had as a mentor in my life to help me become a better person as well. So uh, I'm grateful that you decided to be a part of this show and uh, let's talk a little bit about you. How did you, where did you come from? Is it some of your family that got you into the business and, and how did you grow within the industry? Yeah, I mean, first, thanks, thanks for having me. And you know, um, I jumped at the opportunity to do this with you because I, I just really, uh, you know, have always enjoyed hanging out with you. We always have a good experience every time we hang out. So. Um, so thanks for thinking of me to do this. Uh, yeah, I came, I'm a multi-generational guy in the industry. My dad, uh, before me, and he was raised by his uncle and his uncle had a shop where my dad kind of cut his teeth. So, uh, we've been doing this for, for a long time. I mean, you know, aside from the car guy stuff that I, you know, that I used to knock around with, we had a, a machine shop in my garage. And so we would just kind of build stuff there too. So. It was, uh, it's just something I grew up doing, you know, it's no surprise that Bill Belichick's kids, you know, became football coaches because that's how you relate to your dad, you know? That's exactly so. right. Yeah. And, and probably has a good, it's a good reason why you, you know, are so adept to what you do now. It's probably second nature, I would imagine, because to be honest, I've always called on you when I have an issue that has anything to do methods related. Yeah. It's, I, I, I don't think when, when you see like a computer programmer, you get, uh, you know, that guy goes to work and he works 8, 10, 12 hours a day, and then he goes home and he programs his own stuff. I, I don't think this is a kind of thing where you're halfway pregnant. You either are this industry or you're not. You, you either fit or, or it doesn't fit, it doesn't work, so, and you go on to do something else. So it's just, I've tried doing other things in my life, and every time I was going through the motions, and it just never, it, it didn't, it wasn't me. It was like, okay, I'm pretending to do this, not, this is what I belong doing. So this is home for me. It's just what I do. The halfway pregnant is a fantastic analogy. I love that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, and because I know what I'm getting ready to ask, I will preface it by saying thank you for your service. Um, but I'd like to talk a little bit about your experience in the military and then some of what you did afterwards to help support um, you know, some of the ones who have come back home uh, into the U.S. and and I'll let you dive into it instead of me pretending like I know as much as you do. But let's talk a little bit about that because I know that's a very significant and important part of your life. Yeah, well, you know, thanks for, thanks for thinking of me. And um, yeah, so about uh, September 11th happened. And three days later, I just, I couldn't sleep. I just, you know, my mom worked in the trade zone in New Jersey. And originally when they had, uh, they were talking about the plane that went down to Pennsylvania Field, they were saying, oh, it was hit you know, it was headed towards the Pennsylvania trade zone. So saying, okay, Pennsylvania was hit and New York was hit and right in between is New Jersey where I lived. And, uh, you know, they kind of locked the doors on my mom and said, if you leave, you don't have a job tomorrow. And so everybody was, you know, it was a panic, right? And we're worried. And then the phones went down and, and all of that. And so for three days I didn't sleep and I just, 
was going to go down and talk to a recruiter and, um, you know, I was already in this industry and I just was 21 years old and, and I said, all right, well, I'm just going just gonna to go talk to him. And that was it. And then I would say probably two weeks later I went and took the test to get in and then um, I was delayed until January that year, went in and, you know, they keep saying, oh, well, you did really well on this test. What do you want to do? You can be a Mandarin Chinese linguist, or you can, you know, the Navy comes up and they say, you know, what about the Navy nuclear program? And I was, I didn't, you know, at the time Black Hawk Down was coming out, yeah. you know, and like I didn't know what an Army Ranger was, but like that's what I wanted to do because they make movies about those guys, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and like so in, in, you know, for the worst reasons, I, you know, decided that that's what I, I wanted to be, Airborne Ranger Infantry. So I got the Airborne and I got the infantry part and, um, you know, they say there's guys with a scroll and guys with a story about, you know, going to, going to Ranger Battalion. So I'm a, I'm a guy with a story. I don't have a scroll. Um, but I lo you know, I loved it and ended up getting stationed in Hawaii for, uh, for four years. And in there I went over to Afghanistan in 2004, 2005 and then turned right back around, got home from that, and went over to Iraq, uh, 06 and 07. So it was kind of, um, you know, but over there I got uh, a little bit injured, and, um, you know, I put a, a couple fractures in my back, and then just kind of limped through it, but it was never really the same. Couldn't do what I used to do, which is like a frustrating thing, you know? And so then you come home and you realize, like, I'm no longer a superhero. Like that's the weirdest part is like you can, you run forever, you do all these things and you come home and then, you know, it's, it's funny because if you have a gun in your hand, you are the funniest guy in the room. You, know? <laughs> you have a gun in your name, so it's like, you know. Never the funniest guy in the yeah. room though. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it's like everybody laughs at your jokes. It's like, it's like when the boss tells a joke, you know. So coming home and not having that, it, it kind of was a rude awakening to me and I saw my buddies coming home. And, you know, so I got really involved in veteran stuff, you know, veteran outreach. Um, I deal a lot with, uh, you know, homeless vets. Uh, I have a buddy who has a, a nonprofit um, kind of long-term facility uh, for vets up in New Hampshire that I love to support. And we'll go out and, so his name is Mike, Ri Mike Rivers and the name of his company is Dysfunctional Veterans, which is, you know, it's so apropos. But we'll go in to, uh, into Boston you know, down in the, you know, the train station, there's a hole in the wall that you crawl through, and that's where there's a bunch of guys that are homeless vets hang out, and that's where he, when they were doing the big dig, he used to live there and smoke crack in those tunnels. So he's turned his life around, and now he's this, you know, now he has a rehab facility for vets that he gets them. It's a working farm. It's so cool. Um, you know, so I had my endeavor. I had a, uh, a page, a uh, thing that I used to do, and it's since taken a back seat, you know, Corona has been tough on all industries, but, um, you know, I still, I, I still love working with vets. I still do a little bit of podcasting, talk to them and, um, teach them how to use their benefits that they, that they got from being in, you know, VA loans and how to, how to navigate the VA system and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's great. I love hearing that story. And I've been, you know, had the great fortune to hear a lot of that before and I've, you know, always wanted to support and continue to support that effort. Uh, and, and so, um, before we move on to the next subject, uh, is there a place, if somebody wants to support this, where can they find out more about uh, either the website or uh, maybe the company? Yeah, so, I mean, DV Farm is, um, you know, so on, on social media, it's always at DV Farm. Um, and it's the Dysfunctional Veterans Farm up in Keene, New Hampshire. Okay. And uh, it's a great, 
you know, it's a great organization. It's run very lean. Nobody takes a paycheck. It's just really, um, actually, a lot of people give money to in order to keep it running. But uh, we love it. So, so DB Farm is, yeah, is DV. DV as in Victor is yep. where we're going to find Victor it. Delta Victor Farm. Delta Victor Farm. Excellent. Yep. So I want to step back into something you said uh, as as when you went into the military and you said airborne infantry, yep. right? I'm, yep. I'm correct in remembering that. Yeah. Um, which means you've jumped out of a couple of planes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a number? Oh yeah, you know, so it's funny because I'm, I'm what they call a five jump chump. So I went through <laughs> airborne school and then I got stationed in Hawaii, which has like, there's a, a long range surveillance detachment that's airborne, but nobody else is. So like I show up there and it, you, it, so there's guys with a story, right? I'm, I'm down at Ranger, uh, at the, the start of the Ranger indoctrination program to go into Ranger, Ranger uh, RTB, Ranger Training Battalion or I'm sorry, to, to go through RIP, the Ranger Indoctrination Program, which is uh, where you go if you're going to go to Ranger Bat. So I'm hanging out there, and they said, we need some volunteers to go work at Ranger Training Battalion for like six months, and then you go through, then you'll come back here and go through the program again, but you'll be like stronger, better, faster, and know what to expect when you go to Ranger School. I said, yeah, let me volunteer for that. So they asked for 20 volunteers, 18 guys went, or 17 guys went, and three of us got sent into the wind. Now, I'm sitting there, and this guy is like, uh, yeah, wow, we screwed up here. Like, you're supposed to go to Ranger Training Battalion. So that's right here. And uh, he was like, but it also says you're going to Hawaii. <laughs> so you can fight this and win and end up in, like, Dahlonega, Georgia, or you can go see if you like Hawaii and then decide if you want to fight it. Well, I spent one weekend in Hawaii and decided not to fight it. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no idea why. <laughs> so that's it, you know. Um, but. <laughs> that's that's yeah. interesting. The reason, there was a segue and a purpose to that question. It was because I kind of wanted to tell my own um, misfit story yeah. or, or let's say failed story. Because mm -hmm. if you're jumping out of planes, to me, that is so not just amazing, but fun. Yeah. However, I have this really bad problem with equilibrium. Mm. And I've done skydiving twice, and I've thrown up twice. Yeah. I've quite literally jumped out of the plane, looked at my tandem guy, and be like, so I'm going to be sick. <laughs> He's like, well, what we're going to do is this. You're not the first one. We're going to pull the cord. We're going to spin this way. You're going to turn your head this way. And we're going to spiral in a circle until you're done. Yeah. yeah. Well, halfway through, I'm going to be, it was too late. So I was white as a ghost or maybe even green when I hit the ground. And as much as I love the adventure of jumping out of a plane, um, I'm not sure that my body would allow it, which then prevents me from doing something like the squirrel suit, which is what I was going to ask you if you ever had the opportunity to do because you get so many jumps before you, yeah. you get into that, that field. So my best friend from Hawaii ended up, you know, a guy was like, I mean, he looked like a G.I. Joe doll. He's just, you know, muscular, <laughs> handsome, good-looking guy. Well, he ended up down in uh, the old guard, you know, down, you know, Tomb of the Unknown Soldier stuff. So from there, he got picked up by, like, a special operations unit. And then he – there's two uh, jump teams in the Army. There's the Golden Knights and the Black Daggers. So he ended up being, up until, like, a couple months ago, was the guy in charge at NCOIC, the non-commissioned officer in charge of – um, the Black Dagger parachute team. So 
whenever he come, came into town, he'd be like, James, you know, hey, I'm, I got to jump into this Patriots game or I have to jump into the Red Sox opening day or, you know, whatever. Do you want to, like, go jumping with us? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. You know, so the last time he calls up was, uh, I think it was April 14th or April 15th, the last year. And he's like, yeah, I got to jump into, um, uh, it wasn't opening day, it was a day after opening day. And, uh, you know, do you want to jump with, it was like the mayor, Mark Wahlberg, and something else, and I've got like three slots, like, do you want to go and like bring two friends? So I asked two guys from here. So Dave Lucius, who retired, uh -huh. I was like, Dave, you want to jump out of a plane? <laughs> He's like the vice president, 65-year-old guy. He's like, I've been waiting for someone to ask me, let's go. So it got canceled because of wind at the last minute. I was so bummed. But like, I was going to jump out of a plane with Lucius and Marky Mark. <laughs> That's like a that's like a bucket list dream thing right yeah. there. I mean, obviously, isn't that what you do on a weekend? It's you like, could have yeah. been the Funky Bunch. Yeah, could have been. <laughs> so, part of this show is really bringing the artificial intelligence to life, and obviously, that doesn't always mean robots. And and I made the joke to you earlier about the gun show not being about guns, and yeah. certainly not about I was my muscles. When I found that out. <laughs> I know how much you like those, <laughs> um, but it's about you know bringing to life the creativity of the people that run these machines when people are playing with their phones or driving their car around or you know daydreaming about that rocket that just went into space and how fascinating that might be it comes from somewhere and it comes from places like methods machine and it comes from other places all of these factories and people that put in all of this hard work do you have a story that you could share that's maybe the most fun project you had maybe the most difficult project the most creative project because i know you've been doing this for a long time especially being third generation is and I know we have a lot of proprietary rights and NDAs that we've both signed as well <laughs> but if there's something that you can share a story um, we'd probably love to hear it wow I might have to we, we might have to clap out for a second I gotta think about it wow that's a really good question man <laughs> you know it's funny because uh, so oh you got one so okay Great. Here we go, guys. It's going to be good. <laughs> no, so I went down to a shop. There's this shop in Amish country, Pennsylvania. Right? And like, it was hysterical because I pulled into town. And I needed to go to the ATM machine and grab some money. And I literally was behind a horse and buggy. Mm -hmm. like, like there's a horse and buggy at the ATM machine. And I'm like, what kind of podunk shop am I going to? What is this? Blah, blah, blah. You know. Well, I showed up at this, this place. I don't, want to, I don't want to give their name away. Right. Uh, it's with one expectation, I walk in the door and it's like this world-class facility that makes this stuff for firearms and everything, like, they're like, oh, you want to see? So they found out, like, I had a little history in that. I was a des designated marksman in the military and blah, blah, blah. And they were like, you want to see something cool? And so they show me the new sniper rifle for the army, just this bad, you know, gun. And that was the first time, you know, so I went down there and I was pretty new at methods at the time, but I was like, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. Normally, I don't care what anybody makes, but... At, at this, I said, you better check my pockets when we leave here. <laughs> you know? I mean, this is just the coolest, like, you know, and still, like, to this day, I'm, I'm still looking. I'm like, hmm, I wonder if I can afford one of those yet. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> it's great. So that was, you know, but getting down there and then realizing kind of, you know, it kind of came full circle. And I did a little bit of testing of weapons. Like, I beta tested some stuff while I was in. And one was a automated, um, it was a, like a robotic machine gun. And you know that so it mounts on top of the vehicle. You have a flat panel TV, and you watch. You're kind of watching TV, and you can flip between scopes, and you know set your firing solutions from inside. And you know what you see is what you get when you pull the trigger. That's where the bullet goes. Mm -hmm. And so I was up at this shop up in uh, you know middle Maine, kind of in the middle of nowhere, and I'm looking at all these pieces. And I'm like, I know what that is. 
I know what that is too. Oh yeah, I know what that is. And and so I said, are you guys making this? And I don't know if I'm allowed to say the name of the system. And the guy's like, yeah, but how do you know that? I said, oh, because I was just shooting one like a year ago. You know, mm -hmm. like a year ago. Like, yeah, you know, um, I, I was part of the, you know, doing the beta testing over in, in Iraq. And they're like, you know, so then it was like super cool. Everybody, you know, vice, vice presidents and presidents came down and talked and, and we we're talking about, because they, they got a demonstration once, but they never actually got to use it. So they were curious about, you know, a lot of stuff. So that was pretty neat. You gave them some nice details on probably how it fired and the yeah. kickback and. Yeah, but it's, it's neat to, when things come full circle, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because like this industry is just your, you know, um, when I would work on a job, I start off in service. And when I would go and, and fix a machine, I would go to the same place every day and eat lunch at the same place. And then I would order the same thing off the menu and I would take the same route. And I would, you know, because it's just about repetition. It's about doing the same thing over and over to achieve the same result. And so for me, it's like, that's why I say like either you are this industry or you're not because that's it just you have to be precise and accurate so it was no change for me even when I was in the military I still had to be precise and accurate doing long distance shooting so you know to come back and it just it fit well, we can't be half pregnant that, you can't be half pregnant <laughs> there's a rule the real question is did you get to ride a horse and buggy <laughs> <laughs> that's the yeah no man i feel so cheated but so then i but that's when i learned the difference between like amish and mennonite you know right like, to me i was like they're not allowed to use technology and they're like nah, he's a mennonite it's cool there's you a know? difference yeah it's, everybody knows that yeah. so i'll share a small one with you as well while we're on it but it's not nearly as cool or elaborate um but just based on reading a book by its cover you mm -hmm. know having these preconceived notions i was uh over in india last year and I won't say the name of the company either. But if I didn't know any better, I would have thought a bomb went off outside. And I thought for sure I was going to walk into a mess, you know, like probably the most made up, hand created product on the planet. And there was no way that I was going to be able to push the product that I was selling because it's likely a year's salary kind of a thing, right? <laughs> and I walk in and I see Yazdas and Nakamura's <laughs> and Robo Drills. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, yeah. Do your lawn, maybe, but I guess <laughs> yeah. you don't have to, yeah. as long as the inside is, yeah. is clean. The and money's on the inside of it, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so that's my story about having my, my and ever since, uh, yeah, I don't, I just assume the, the best, because who knows what we'll walk into in these shops, and I think that kind of comes full circle to the reason we're doing this, right, yeah. is the preconceived notion of thinking, ah, maybe I don't want to get into that industry, I'm going to be dirty and stinky and oily all day, and I'd rather just sit at a desk and play on a computer and, you know, listen to my music and design, but we're really creating magic out here, so... I appreciate you sharing that story, and, and, and it could be in, in, you know, defense industry, it can be into the space, it can be in medical, and um, besides, and I've said this before, and I'm sure you have too, but pretty much everything besides air and you and me mm -hmm. has been made in some aspect of our industry. Yeah. You know, it's, it's amazing to me to see the changes that have happened over my lifetime from the beginning, the infancy of, of CNC machining and, you know, and, and you'll even hear like NASA talk about, oh, we'd love to go back to the moon, but we lost the technology, right? They don't mean like, oh, like, you know, somebody threw out away the, the notes, the technology being the fact that 
you can't recreate it because those were all handmade pieces before. So a million handmade pieces that now would need to be turned into a, a, a program in order to be made because people just don't machine like that anymore. Imagine you know, so, that. So I went from machining things by hand and being a tool maker and grinding and you know I, a 1921 Crystal Lake OD grinder and a surface grinder and, and a JNS wheel dresser to like playing with Yazdas in my lifetime. And, and so, but I remember saying to my dad in, 1997 about these newfangled CNC machines, you know, like, uh, like, should we be worried? And he was like, <laughs> Jimmy, they'll never be able to hold a 10,000 of an inch, you know, and now Yazda's submicron machining. <laughs> like, where were you on that one, Pops? <laughs> but, but that's the whole who moved my cheese, right? You can either say like, like you can yell at the, the sky because it's raining or you get with the times and like, I'll tell you, I, when I got into this industry and to this side of the industry, I said, wow, I've been staying on the wrong side of the machine all these years because it's, you know, now when I walk in and I'm there to, when, when I was there to fix somebody's machine or help somebody help somebody's operation, they're like, I'm so grateful you're here. I've worked in a shop for eight, you know, nine years and never heard anybody say, I'm so grateful you showed up to work today. <laughs> you know? But I, so I love it. I, I just, it's really cool to see all the things because now, and, and I try to tell people here, you know, or explain as like a humble guy from a shop that had busted out windows. I used to have to wear a, a, a coat in the wintertime and still try and hold accuracy because I'm, you know, the, I worked at these poor shops where when a machine broke, well, it broke while you were using it, so you better fix it because we're not calling in a hundred and thirty dollar an hour tech to come, you know, bail you out, you know. And and so that's how I learned to do this stuff. And when I came here, they're like, "Well, can you replace a spindle?" And I was like, "Yeah, I, yeah, I can. I have. I'm sure I could do it better, you know. But like, I've always just done it because I've had to, not because somebody taught me to, you know." Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, but I try to impart on people here that, like, for me, I used to, we used to daydream about like working in a shop that you could afford a Yazda or a Nakamura, right? Like we were, you know, we we're getting used stuff from like not Japan. You know? <laughs> and, That's and, the label on there? Yeah, it just says not made in Japan. <laughs> that was the label. But, um, you know, so we would, I would like, wow, like, I can't believe, are you serious? Like, you know, so every day when I got to play with these machines, I was in awe. And, and so I try to tell these guys, like, you work on Ferraris every day. Like you get to work on the creme de la creme stuff, so. So true. Um, you made me think of a point, a couple of points. Uh, there's some real value in where you started. Um, it's, it's more advanced, but similar to where I started as well. And, and people today, the older generation, I would say, that started on the manual machines, like to emphasize especially the tool and die guys who I give a lot of credit to. I mean, where would we be without the tool and die guys? Yeah, for sure. Um, but there's a real feel when running a manual machine on speeds, feeds, depth to cut. You can feel the vibration of these parts, right? So somebody who comes in and they're only doing the design aspect of it, they don't, they've never been able to taste that, to feel that, to be a part of, of that. But also talking about keeping up with the times. Let's talk a little bit about methods. Let's talk about the Precision Center. Let's revisit, you've already mentioned the Yazdas and the Nakamuras, the OKKs, your fantastic new methods machines, which we're sitting in front of right now. 
the ever famous Fanuc Robo Drills, which I've walked into a shop and seen 15,000 of them in one spot, <laughs> looking like a hall of mirrors, because of the footprint just being so perfect. Mm. Um, but let's talk a little bit about methods and the innovation of today and what's coming for tomorrow. Yeah, it's so cool. It was like probably eight months that I was working here before I I understood when you call in, even even when a tech calls in, right and uh, and you listen to the recording, it says like, we're the pioneers in the industry of modern lathe design. And I'm like, well, what is, like, I, you just kind of tune it out for a while. And then somebody says, oh yeah, you didn't know. And, and I'm like, so apparently, right? Not apparently now, now I know this. After, after 10, 15 years being here, I now know that this is true. We, um, the original owner here, Clement, Clem Senior, you know, um, MacGyver had, <laughs> had said, um, he had came up with this idea, like if you just tilt the, the bed of the lathe, right, and, and put it at whatever it is, a 30 degree angle, right, it, the tooltip will always stay on center and you can use less processing power. And so he pitched that to a bunch of American manufacturers, like, hey, I want you to build this lathe for me. I'll, I'll buy a bunch of them, right? And everybody was like, no, nah, people are happy with the way things are. And he went over to Japan to a company who's now a competitor. Um, shout out. Uh, <laughs> you know who you are. Um, but, he, you know, so he went over there and he had said, uh, I want you to build this. And they said, if you want us to build this, you have to buy like 25 of them. He said, deal. You know, we gave them the money on the spot. So they did it. By the time he, by the time those machines came across the ocean, they were already sold. Wow. Now he said, now I need more and more and more. Now that company is one of the biggest. They're actually the booth next to us at IMTS. Um, but, uh, you know, who merged with somebody else, um, mm -hmm. again, they, but they, you know, so after years in the industry, they had said, um, we want you to carry our mills too. And we already had a great relationship with another manufacturer, uh, who's making milling machines and, um, you know, they just made a great product and said like, well, no, we're not going to dissolve that, uh, you know, but that's the way methods has always been. It's always been not being happy with the status quo. It's about making things better, you know? So uh, even though we don't make things, we make them better, right? And so we partner with these companies from around the world. We say, you know, if you want this in the American market, this is what has to happen to it. And then we help influence them. Or sometimes we'll help them design, like the, uh, the PX30 from Yazda, we, we help them design that here. And we said, well, we want this footprint to compete against this other machine that's doing really well in the market. And you know, this is what we learned from those machines, and this is what we know. Let's let's build that. And now they can't keep them. You know, they can't keep them on the shelf. I think it's a two and a half year wait for one. No if you kidding. Order today, so well, that PX thirty, I I got to see it and play with it a little bit yesterday. Did you? Yeah. Wow. That's yeah, cool, isn't it? it was thirty pallets? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think standard's thirty. Yeah. It's really an incredible machine, and you're, we already know Yazda to be such a high-precision machine to add the additional components to it to make it lights out precision and the reliability that comes behind it. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the facility, the, the precision center that is really the only one like it in the whole of North America? Yeah, so we have, what's cool about methods is that we attract like the best, the, just, People who are kind of crazy like a fox, 
end up here for some reason. And and you know we have guys like uh, Montu Patel who you probably met up there, and and Mike Martin like. You know, I mean, I have Mike Martin under ruse. Like, the guy is just brilliant at everything he does. Like, he's forgotten more about machining than the rest of us, like, than the rest of us ever learned. He's just, so when it came time for methods to build this precision center that, so, so basically this is a climate controlled room and it's about 30 feet high or whatever. And, and, but the air is exchanged like every two minutes in the room. It's kept within a, like half a degree from the top of the bottom. It's a positive pressure room. So if you see that quick door that's on the outside is, is, you know, uh, convex. Yeah, convex. It's definitely it's, bowed up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's bowed. Uh, but you know, it's because there's positive pressure in the room and it pushes that door out. But the, even um, in order to keep things the same, that door is it's super fast. So it goes up and down within like a second and a half. You can open the door and close the door. So um, the whole thing was just thought out. And it's just about, you know, it's, it's what we ask our our customers to do. So if you're going to buy an ultra precision machine, we say we need, you know, uh, one meter of concrete over 12 inches of crushed gravel, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so we can test a machine in a perfect condition. So we know if you've run off in the precision center and it goes to your facility and something's wrong, it ain't the machine. Right, because we can prove it. So when we're doing kind of secret squirrel, high-pressured stuff for you know a bunch of those super cool guys who we want more contracts from, um, <laughs> you know those guys, uh, you know we can say we can say, hey, you want to run it off? You want to run off that Yazda job that you're afraid can't be done, or you know, because we've done some cool stuff. Like I don't know the depths of how you know, but um, Dale Mickelson, he was just the um, subject matter expert of hard milling. And one day we were talking about these little 5,000th end mills that he's using on a job, 5,000ths of an inch in an end mill. I'm like, how do you even sharpen that? And he looked at it and he said, James, I was just doing a job with a 1,000th end mill. You know, he said, but that's not as small as they get. They get down to two ten-thousandths of an inch diameter. Like, how do you sharpen something that small? But this is what Yazda is capable of doing because it's so precise and accurate that you can get this tiny little thing that, like, you know, the depth of cut that everything to, in order to machine hard mill with this kind of stuff is just you know mind-blowing so when you get jobs that require things like that it's awesome to have the facility that you can run and it's all you know gives you a, a report so Mike Martin can see he you know he gets a, a report on his on his thing every time an event happens if there's a temperature change he can change the temperatures he can do all these things the, the humidity the barometric pressure all of that is all controlled and um, the only way to keep that much space, because it's, I think it's like 4,400 square feet. Mike, sorry, Mike, if I'm wrong. Um, but the only way to keep that air that accurate, you know, uh, temperature-wise, is by taking hot air or hot water and cold water and mixing them to the perfect temperature for what you need, and then blowing it through like a radiator system hmm. into the room. And then you have these fans from a company, big ass fans. So you know, they—that's really the name of the company. That's the name. Yeah. And so like two, you know, they blow, you know, blow down and one sucks up and creates this, this vortex in the room that keeps the temperature perfect. Uh, and then there's all kinds of pressure sensors in the walls. There's everything so that you know when something has happened in that room. It's really cool. 
That is, that, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, for, if you're like a nerd, if you're like, if you're like me, this is cool to talk about. Like, <laughs> so sorry for the rest of you. Wake up. We're done talking about that now. <laughs> it's, I was so intrigued with what you were saying. I don't even have any questions moving forward. I have no, I have no segue onto the next section. I, I, that was, that's absolutely remarkable how that's all constructed and put together for such precision. So you are able to support the highest requirements of precision for certainly North America, because I've yeah. visited all of your locations here, yeah. but is it also Mexico and Canada as well, or do you go beyond that also? Yeah, so so we do, North, North America includes Mexico and Canada. Okay. Um, so yeah, so we do, uh, that's where we have our, um, you know, exclusive importation rights, you know, we're, so it, rather than be generally, if we're gonna carry a product at Methods, we are the importer, we're not a distributor, right? So we want the exclusive rights to sell it. We don't want to share that piece of the pie with anybody else because, hey, we have a system and we know we can move your product if you do what we ask you to. But if you're listening to a bunch of other people and muddying the water, maybe we can't get you to where you wanna go as a company. Well, James, I know that you and I can talk for days and days. In yeah. fact, I think I've spent at least three or four days on the IMT on your booth at IMTS. <laughs> and my old bosses would be like, where is he? Where well, he's talking to James again. So I yeah. know we can talk forever, but let me leave you with one question because um, I value your wisdom and it's something we've discussed before. But if you have any advice for the people out there, um, because we all know there's a large skills gap between those that are retiring and those that are coming in and those that are coming in, we'd still like to have more. Mm -hmm. We know that manufacturing is significant to stabilizing an economy. So if you had maybe some inspiration to offer someone who A, maybe wants to get into it or B, hasn't even thought about it, what kind of inspiration would you offer? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, and it's funny because as we were setting up and we started talking about the way this industry has changed and due to the automation stuff, due to the you know computerized machines, the all, all of these different things, the, the industry has become a lot safer. So you had kind of, you get a lot more different people that get involved in it. Half of my department, half of my reports are, are, are women. You know, and that never was a thing, right? Um, and and I love that. Uh, you get there's there's a, a lid for every pot in this industry. So if you're thinking, you know, a it's incredibly safe and stable. I've never been without a job. I've never had to worry about how am I going to pay a mortgage or how am I going to, you know, you, you know, you are now appreciated for your knowledge. And and when I see these these younger generation that's coming out of school, and they're you know so they're leaving college and somehow tripping into this industry, I'm like, you're so lucky because you're seeing this now. You, like we've adapted to the way this is. You're getting it. It's like, it's like when you hand a five-year-old an iPad and they can, you know, in a, in a week, they can show you what you're doing wrong or fix it for you, you know? And, and that's the way we're seeing this generation take to that stuff. And there's, there's so many different things that you can do in this industry that I would, I would implore anybody to, to look at it. It's, it's just a great, uh, it's changed so much. We, you know, I told you we were ostracized when I was when I was doing my apprenticeship. My father and I were ostracized because we weren't German, you know. And now my right hand here is this, you know, four foot eleven little Asian girl who's like the best engineer I've ever seen. So, like, the times are changing, and but everybody has this valuable input that um, it's a safe place to be. It's a good place to be. I think that's an, a very valuable insight to offer when. 
You know, I ask this question a lot, and I think it's important to have different variations of the answer. Um, but no one had touched on the fact that it's a stable place to work. You know, you, you mentioned you never had to worry about, you know, am I going to pay my mortgage? That's that's important. You know, that's, that, that type of comfort level is important to a lot of people. Um, but I also want to bring up, uh, I, I, I can feel a bit of empathy, and I see it in your eyes as well as a new parent, that... Uh, yeah, I'm not the only one having my iPhone and iPad taught to me on all the things I don't know how to do from a very young person. <laughs> it's so funny. So, James, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time. Guys, this is The Gun Show, where we're doing our very best to bring artificial intelligence to life. There are some super creative people in this industry, James being one of them. So, thank you again, my friend. I really appreciate you. Thanks, buddy. Cheers.